Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Biff Bites podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jerry Me, joined by my two awesome co-hosts, uh, Mr. Brendan Flaherty and Mike Long. How you doing today, guys? Doing well. How you doing? All things considered, hanging yeah. in there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, still in lockdown mode. It'll be fun going back, listening to these episodes to kind of hear where our heads were at in the middle of uh, the quarantine. The chaos. But, you know, for right now, we're living it. Yep. That feels like Jack Nicholas in The Shining. I mean, Jack, <laughs> yeah, Jack Nicholson, not Jack Nicholas. Yes. <laughs> that would have been a good cast. Yeah, that would have been a good character. It would have been a lot more boring. Yeah. Come, yeah. Comes through the door with his five iron. Yeah. <laughs> he never misses with that five iron, Mike. <laughs> yeah. all work and no play makes uh brendan a boring boy yeah, is that what you're trying to that's tell right. us brendan? that's right <laughs> well i mean that's as good an intro as anything to get into our first topic we're gonna save our question of the episode towards the end because it has more to do with our topic uh at the end of the episode but right off the bat you know mike, mike and i really wanted to talk to you about what it's like running a practice from home. You know, everyone's in work from home mode yep. and financial advisors are no exception. So, so give us a, give us an idea of what it's like for you. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So, so um, I was home less than most people um, as, as the department of Homeland security uh, has deemed our industry as essential, um, which, you know, I, I think it's, it makes sense because people need money we need to be able to provide liquidity. We need we need to be able to process payments and checks and things like that. So, um, a lot of that you can do from home. Um, but we we had been open for uh, pretty much the entire time. And then two weeks ago, uh, one of the women in our office, uh, her daughter, uh, tested positive. So they shut our office down for two weeks. Uh, we just reopened uh, the day before yesterday. So I've been back in the office for three days. But I did spend two weeks running my practice from home. Uh, and it's it's tough. I mean, it, it, you, you rely on technology that everyone else is trying to get a piece of. So it's it's not as reliable as what you're used to. Um, and, you know, you're talking, it was much more hectic. People were, uh, you know, as we started getting two, three weeks into this, people started getting more and more anxious and needy and, and uh, concerned. Um, and people that you would normally talk to, you know, once a month, once every few months, uh, you're talking to, you know, every day or every other day. Um, and, uh, you know, it's pretty much repeating the same thing over and over and over again, which is to, uh, you know, kind of stay the course and, and don't react to what you're seeing in the market. Um, you know, very few people probably needed to do uh, more than just a simple rebalance, uh, but, but you got to talk them off that ledge every single day. How do you get to them all? I mean, is it just literally the entire day you're on the phone? Yeah, it is. To return all these calls. It, it is. And, and you know, you want to try to, it, it starts by trying to reach out to the people that you know are going to be nervous. Um, and, you know, this is, I've been with a lot of my clients for a long time now. And uh, this is not the first one of these that we've gone through. Um, but there are people who historically haven't gotten nervous who, definitely did in this one. Uh, that Monday that we lost 12% on the Dow and around that same amount in the S&P, it, it, it changed things. Um, and, and so it's just, you got people calling you, you're calling them, uh, and it's hard to get back to every single person every single day. Uh, plus you're getting emails. So it, it was a lot to manage. And, you know, you're down. I'm, I went from working uh, on, uh, you know, multiple monitors to, to being 
down to just my laptop screen, um, which is, mm. you know, that, that changes things too. So it makes you less efficient. Um, and, you know, in the, the middle of all this, you're trying to also make sure that you're up to date on all of the information that's out there now. Um, and, and it's changing. It's a very fluid situation. It's changing on a daily basis. And you want to make sure that you are um, keeping up with what you're – because the things you, you maybe took for granted yesterday may no longer be true. Yeah. I mean things are changing so rapidly. The market's basically rubber banding, it feels like, on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to keep up with current events and also all your clients at the same time. It's tough. And there was a couple of things that came together to really create this this downturn. I mean, obviously, the the oil issues with with Russia and Saudi Arabia would have on their own been some form of a market event. It definitely wouldn't have been anywhere near as substantial as what we've seen uh, on its own. But the coronavirus potentially wouldn't have been either, you know, um, at least initially. And, and I think those two things came together. But you know, we're getting to a point now uh, where we're starting to see at least a little bit of resolution, a little bit of a reprieve. Um, and, and the VIX, which was, you know, trading north of $85, is now trading somewhere below 50. And uh, bonds have settled down and, and we're getting normal functioning markets again. Uh, um, and, and we've sprung up about 20% off the ground. Um, so, you know, we're in that middle place where we're not quite sure how long is it going to last and, and uh, are we going to – is the next step going to be up or down? And, and so it's a very it's a very difficult thing to read right now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so what sort of changes have you made to your, your daily routine as far as, um, you know, working with clients, you know, obviously working from home for financial advisors, there's a lot of things similar and a lot of things different. What would you say have been like the biggest changes you've had to make? Um, I've had to let go of some of the things that I normally read. Um, I I just, I don't have time to get to, um, nor do I have, it's, it's, it's tough to access the same things, even though you're on the same machine. It's just it. It's like I feel like I'm flying a different plane. Uh, you, you're just you're just not used to the to the to the method that you're dealing with, um, and and so I've been trying to watch more of. I, I usually avoid things, um, you know, not to not not to cast any stones, but I, I I typically don't watch things like CNBC on a regular basis, um, and you know I've been trying to watch more of that because I understand that that's what my clients are watching. I want to understand what they're reacting to. Um, I've tried to, uh, you know, my, my time has really gone from being, trying to be as proactive as possible to, I am very much reactive, although I'm starting to get some feet underneath me now. Uh, but for, for a long time I was very reactive. Um, and it's, you know, the kids are home doing their school work cause they're all out of school and, and, uh, you know, between the dogs barking and the kids coming in to talk to you, it's, it, it creates just a different environment than what you're used to. And you just have to cope. And all of my clients have been extremely understanding and, and, and they get that, you know, everyone's kind of been thrown into this. Yeah. Well, they're in the same situation. Yep. Adapt. Are you um, involved at all with the homeschooling now or? or yeah. Or, or Yep. And, and so my, my son is in eighth grade and, and uh, he's, he's dealing with, with uh, some math concepts that he hasn't had to deal with before. And I think it's difficult uh, to convey that stuff uh, to people who have never been exposed to it via YouTube or, or via Zoom. Uh, so I've, I've been a lot more engaged in the, the kids uh, studies as well. Um, you know, and I, I do things like I'm the assistant scout master for my son's boy scout troop. All of that stuff has gone on zoom. So I'm doing that as well. Um, 
you know, so everything's just a little bit different, but it all, it all happens now during, you know, the, the work hours have expanded substantially and, you know, everything's kind of competing for the same amount of time. What are you doing just to, you know, keep the wheels on <laughs> just to stay I am drinking sane, copious amounts of alcohol. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, you know, I try to get out at least for 40 minutes to an hour a day with, with the kids and, and with my wife and the dogs and just go for a walk. Um, just kind of get out. I'm, and it's, it's amazing where, you know, I'm seeing neighbors. I've lived in my house for the last seven or eight years and, and, um, you just you just don't see people uh, normally like you're seeing right now. Everyone's out. The streets are busy in terms of just people kind of enjoying you know where they live as opposed to having all of these other things that they have to do. So that's been you know one nice thing. Um, but yeah, that, I mean that's and that that makes a big difference. You know, it helps to 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 be able to kind of take a pause and have lunch with the kids or take a pause and go for a walk. Um, you know, th- those are things that don't normally. Uh, th- those are. Uh, some luxuries that I don't usually get, you know, working in the office. I don't get to see the kids or my or my wife during the day. Definitely, yeah. It's all about kind of making those those changes and you know still finding ways to enjoy life where you can. Yeah, and, and going back to that to the behavioral uh, episode that we did a few a few a few times ago, it, it's trying to remain as objective as possible, and it gets hard because there's just so much emotion around you because people are nervous about their health. They're nervous about their money, and it's it's hard to to be that objective voice and in, in you know trying to stick to the plan uh, because everything is screaming around you to not, uh, and and so it's it's you know trying to remain that that uh, having that objectivity is important. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's good. That's good feedback and good to you know kind of get a slice of that life. Uh, hopefully, our listeners are you know meeting those same challenges because um, there are lots of them. Like I. I know things as silly as uh, like webcams are almost completely sold out yeah. everywhere. Um, you know, I was seeing webcams that usually go for $50 are now going for $350. It's not just uh, toilet paper. Trying, yeah, not just toilet paper. Uh, really interesting to see kind of where our uh, societal keystones are yep. when something like this happens. Yep, yep, yep. You know, it's just, again, it's 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 hard not to, to be emotional. People People feel threatened from multiple angles at this point. And I think it's to be expected that we do get these, uh, you know, the, these, again, people who are normally very, very level-headed have uh, uh, have been have been pretty emotional during this. But to, yeah. to be fair, we haven't made a whole lot of changes, which is good. So so they, they, they still, at the end, come back down to that objective uh, plan that we, we've been dealing with. Well, Definitely. that's good to hear too, yeah. A lot of people have <clears throat> asked me about our business, but, you know, the CFP, Yep. business. And that's been interesting. Um, I was talking to one of our sales folks um, and he was having March was his best month ever. Yeah. And I, and it kind of makes sense and surprises people that asked me that I was like, well, no, I'm, it's actually really robust right now. Cause everybody's trapped at home and they're saying, well, I've put off the CFP long enough and yep. I might as well get started with that. I'm already bored. I might as well get bored more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all that time at home. I, I I would say the same, Mike. I feel like we're as busier than ever. I mean, so as as far as we know now, um, the July exam is going to happen as normally scheduled. Um, you know, there's no word as far as it being postponed or canceled or anything like that. So, you know, we are operating under the assumption that it is going to happen and, you know, studying as as 
fitting a July exam study cycle. Uh, but, you know, it's obviously something we're going to be observing over the coming months just to see how the situation changes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, certainly as we hear things, we will talk about them on, on the podcast as well. And, and hopefully we're, we're all coming out of our bunkers, you know, long before then. All right, guys. So for our next topic, uh, this is kind of a, a big one, but we don't actually know if this is going to show up on any actual CFB exams, if it's going to be incorporated or not. Definitely not going to be showing up on the July exam, but the new CARE Act that just got passed. Uh, do we yeah. want to talk about that? You know, even though it's it, it's probably not going to end up seeing the light of uh, the CFP exam, it's still something that affects, you know, a lot of people. Yeah, both from a practice standpoint and a personal standpoint. Yeah, especially on the heels of of um, you know the Secure Act, we've got two things that are impacting, particularly retirement discussions. Um, so I think that that's kind of where I've started with in reading this. And there's you know there's going to be a lot of information coming out uh, as that's very fluid. But I'm trying to master the retirement stuff first. Yeah, and yep. I would say the one I was most focused on is the student loan uh, changes and the basically de- uh, deferment of uh, interest accruing on student loans. I think that's going to be uh, one of the most uh, effective pieces as far as for most number of people that it affects. Yep. Yeah. Outline that for us. I was asking you earlier and um, what did you tell me? Push back to September. Yeah, I believe it's September. So we'll we'll link this in the uh, the show notes as well. But uh, the National Law Review actually came out with a uh, really good breakdown uh, of the CARE Act and everything that it affects. Uh, that came out. Uh, actually, it looks like it actually came out today. Um, oh no, I'm sorry. It came out uh, about a week ago. Uh, but the National Law Review did this great breakdown where they go over every uh, piece of the CARE Act and and what it actually means and for the student loans. Now, this is important because it is just federal student loans. Uh, doesn't affect private loans, doesn't affect uh, state loans like MIFA, just federal loans uh, are going to be suspended through September 30th of 2020. So what that means is uh, students with federal student loans don't have to make uh, payments, and most importantly, interest is not incru- accruing. So if students do want to make payments, 100% of those payments go to principal. So if you're one of the ones fortunate enough to, you know, your, your, stu- you, your job hasn't been affected and you have those student loans, I mean, this could be a great opportunity to really uh, get ahead of the curve and, you know, pay down those loans without having to worry about, uh, you know, interest working against you. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's just, you know, payments are deferred. Um, interest is deferred. Um, they're also suspending, uh, collections on student loans. So if you're already behind on your student loans, the government isn't going to be collecting on them until September 30th. Um, really it's just, uh, a great, you know, four, five, uh, four month, uh, stopgap period where you can hiatus. Yeah. Just, you know, get either get caught up or get your feet out from under you. Uh, and you, you know, if, if you're already in a good place, it's a great opportunity to pay those loans down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I like that. You know, I wanted, you said this was uh, the national review is what, what did this nice summary, Jerry? Yeah. The national law review, national law review. So I would trust that greatly. 
um, you know, just Googling things and getting into random articles, those make me a little bit nervous as I read some of this because it's like, well, what about this piece? They've left right. out, yeah. you, you know, yep. half of, of what this provision is about. Um, so I would, what I'm trying to do is is I, I have saved a, a copy of the entire bill and then I'll read something and then go to the actual document and see if it syncs. <laughs> um, my, my rule of thumb whenever I look for things like this is look for the boring stuff. You know, it's, yeah. it might not be the most fun to read, but it's going to be the stuff that's boring. That's not going to have the spin and, you know, opinion pieces inserted into it. And yeah, just you know, just the facts, not the interpretation of the facts. Exactly. So it's it's yeah. dry, but you know what you're getting. Yeah. And the um, at Congress.gov, uh, you can pull the whole thing up. But at the beginning, they do have a nice uh, you know outline of the sections. So it doesn't take that long to really find what, what you were looking for in any particular piece of this. Uh, but then it gets really boring as you click into the actual <laughs> bill. <laughs> yep. Boring is good in this case. <laughs> uh, did you want to go into uh, kind of how the it affects the retirement accounts, Mike? Well, a couple of things with, uh, with retirement. You, you, you hope that... Um, you hope that folks don't need to dip into retirement monies uh, for, you know, virus related uh, issues. But um, I believe that provision is you can take up to a hundred thousand and and not be subject to penalty. Um, So again, I I hope nobody needs to do that, but that's nice that there's not going to be a penalty on top of, uh, you know, taxable funds. Um, But the, the biggest thing um, that, I think we need to be aware of is not having to take the uh, RMD um, f- for this year. And for some, in conjunction with the SECURE Act changing the beginning date to age 72, um, conceivably some folks will actually have a two-year uh, right. period where they won't have to take uh, an RMD. But I think that... Um, you know that that's really going to depend on their circumstances when they're they're talking to you about whether they should forego it or uh, get it out of there because there might be some good opportunity um, yep. investment wise coming up and I just wouldn't automatically say don't don't take it if you don't have to. But what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think I think just like anything else in planning or or uh, investment related, it, it's a case by case basis. It's it's very dangerous and and uh, uh, probably not good to 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 paint with a broad brush on stuff like that because there certainly isn't one size fits all. But if it makes sense for an individual situation to take it or to not take it, then you know I would follow that advice. Yeah, I, I would say anytime it gives the individual the option, it's a good thing. It is good it, to it, have yeah. options. Like absolutely, this is a great thing. Yep. In in game theory, you know, a core tenant of game theory is that you know the individual who has the most options is the most likely to win because they have the most chances to capitalize on those options and make good decisions. And I think that's just what this is. Is you know, it's not going to be a good idea for everyone to take it. It's not going to be a good idea for everyone to defer it. But but just having that option 
action is powerful in and of itself. Yeah, and a lot of this in the individual discussions can come down to, you know, what's it in and and is there a major hit to be taken just to take the RMD? Um, I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces to this and and, and that's why it's, like you say, it's got to be one-on-one type of discussion. Right, right? and and you also have to take into consideration that if people, again, if the, the depending on the factors, if people take it out, they may not have it applied to the investment when it reflates back up to maybe where it was or close to where it was prior to this virus impact. The other main points are mostly having to do with like business loans and uh, credit protection. Um, so, I mean, definitely some some good stuff in there but it, i i feel the focus of those is a bit more narrow was there any other like major parts of the care act that you know really dials into kind of everyday clients one little this is not a big thing but i it's one of those where oh good i'm glad that's there for folks um it's a really small amount 300 dollars, but you can take an above the line deduction for charitable contribution so i yeah. hope that motivates some folks who don't itemize deductions to go ahead and give $300 to, uh, to charity, you know, particularly, um, you know, healthcare things, uh, right now. So I thought that was pretty cool. Could you go into that a bit more, Mike, about why above the line is so important when it comes yep. to charitable deductions? Well, normally the only way we, um, we get a deduction is if we, um, is if we itemize, uh, in a situation where the itemized deductions exceed what the standard deduction would be. And a lot of folks now are just taking the standard deduction. And that can hurt charitable giving if they're no longer feeling like, oh, I'm not getting a tax break for this. But when we say, uh, and that's below the line, that's after um, we've rolled all the income up. And then if we itemize deductions, we uh, that comes later. Uh, above the line means that it's a deduction after we've rolled together the income, then there are numerous deductions that can be taken uh, to arrive at the adjusted gross income. Yep. And so this small piece, this $300 piece is is being put above the line. Um, and I, I really hope it motivates people just to go ahead and give 300. Yeah. To kind of put give a real world example of, of why it's important. I actually ran into this on my taxes this year where um, I helped organize a, a charity fundraiser and uh, I collected the funds as part of the fundraiser. We raised like $3,000, which was great. And we donated it. Uh, and then at the end of the year, I got a 1099 from PayPal because I collected this $3,000 in, in fundraising. So I got a 1099 on the $3,000 that I had to pay taxes on, but because I don't itemize my taxes, I couldn't write it off. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it was fine. <laughs> it, was, it was for a good cause, but that just kind of just is an example of why above the line is important where, you know, even if you're not itemizing, you can still take that deduction. Absolutely. And that also is um, usually good for a question or two on the CFP exam above the line versus below the line or for AGI as opposed to from uh, AGI. Easy to spot if you just, uh, you know, when you're studying, have a copy of the 1040 and some other forms there to reference so you can visualize where it happens on the the tax return. Uh, Another piece with um, charitable giving, um, they've upped the ceiling to 100% of AGI for yep. cash donations this year. Now it had been at 60 mm-hmm. uh, and certainly not everyday clients are in, in a position to do 60% or a hundred percent of their AGI for charitable causes. But that's another thing I hope the, the wealthy respond to in these times. 
Well, also, it that just helps for individuals who are already retired and, you know, they have very low AGIs because they're not working, but they might still have plenty of, you know, uh, other assets that they want to donate or they have their annual uh, donation to charities that they like to do that, you know, they're basically living off of their savings now. And that, that extra amount can really help when you're, you know, taking into the accounts for like interest collection or, you know, basically non, non W2 income for adjusted gross income. Yep. Yep. The other thing I was thinking about uh, in, for this discussion was, um, you know, whether to, is now a good time to think about a Roth conversion. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that on the backside of all of this, we're going through, it, it's not going to surprise me at all if tax rates go up. Right. So, oh, yeah. you know, would if, if you're thinking of doing a Roth conversion, uh, would now maybe be a good time to do that. But then it tracks back to, well, uh, what's it invested in <laughs> right now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm in that position myself because I've got an older... Uh, uh, IRA that I, you know, I used to fund long ago and it's a decent size. And I'm like, but I've had it mostly in equities <laughs> as really long-term money. Um, so I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to take that hit and then pay ordinary income taxes. Um, so I don't know. Have you run into that at all, guys? I'm guessing that there's a bunch of like backdoor Roth conversions uh, articles going around. I always kind of get a feel for what sort of like pop finance articles are getting popular when my friends start texting me questions about a certain topic out of the blue. And I have noticed that a, a bunch of people have been asking me about, uh, you know, backdoor Roth conversions or just regular Roth conversions. Um, so I'm guessing that's, it's definitely in the zeitgeist right now. Yeah. I, I just, I'm, I'm not acting on it right now has kind of become my decision for, for at this point that I'm going to leave it. Yeah. And it's, it's not something that I've seen a lot of. And I mean, back when they, they allowed, uh, regardless of income, uh, to people to do it, I think it was 2010, 2011, um, there was a, a number of people that were asking about it and, and several people did convert. Uh, but since then it just hasn't been something yeah. that's been that popular, at least again, anecdotally yeah, in my it's become practice, a little more complicated. And then I, the, the only other thing I, I just had jotted down here to mention, because we're, uh, we've been pushed back to what July for, you know, regular income tax returns. I, I think that's what I saw July. Yes. So, um, July 15th. I don't know. And maybe you guys do. I haven't, read this yet does that push back the funding of an ira i believe it does yeah okay yep because i was going to mention um if it did not and you've never started a roth but wanted to you can open a roth at this time and you don't have to fully fund it but you could open it and designate it for 2019 and and so the five-year holding period clock would start january 1st 2019 even though that's a good point yep and that's correct in april yeah so uh that window or july whenever you file yeah 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 if it's uh if that too has been pushed to july so you know even throwing uh whatever it takes to open one um you know if you think you're going to use a roth at some time you might as well get the clock running and you'll shave essentially shave a year and a half off of it yep Definitely. Uh, you know, one part about the CARE Act that will actually get tested on, and I think is a great example, is uh, 
fiscal policy versus monetary policy and, you know, how the CARE Act fits into that. Brendan, do you want to kind of give us an overview about fiscal versus monetary and, and which one the CARE Act falls under? Yeah. So, well, we, we've had extreme uh, examples of both fiscal and monetary policy intervention as a result of this crisis. Um, fiscal policy is is things that are done through Congress um, and, and to a lesser extent, the executive branch that impact the spending and taxation of the U.S. government. Monetary policy is implemented through the Federal Reserve uh, and deals with the money supply. So typically the, the changing of rates, uh, the changing of reserve requirements and the buying and selling of securities by the Fed to and from the market uh, in an attempt to to either restrict liquidity or, or uh, uh, exploit liquidity. You know, and right now they came out from the Fed standpoint, they, they dropped rates to 0%. They basically said, we'll buy as much of whatever we need to buy to make sure that we provide liquidity uh, and support for uh, capital markets. Um, and, and they've they've done you know really everything in their power uh, to this point to make sure that there is um, nothing standing in the way of the markets to recover from from a, a money supply standpoint. But that only goes so far. You know we've had a lot of monetary policy interventions since the Great Recession or the financial crisis of two thousand eight two thousand nine. Um, but we need fiscal policy intervention to, to, to make the changes that the monetary policy stuff just doesn't doesn't get to. Uh, and as a result of the CARE Act, uh, we've got it. So the CARE Act is very much uh, a massive, I think maybe the biggest in history, uh, fiscal policy intervention uh, in an attempt to, to make sure that, you know, this health crisis, this, this biological issue does not turn into an economic crisis, or we want to mitigate as much of the uh, economic fallout as we can uh, from, from this policy. And I don't remember, I don't know if you guys do uh, ever, there be, including the financial crisis, anything anywhere near this in terms of intervention. Not both things at the same time at such yeah. extreme levels. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and and I think that you know it was well thought out. It was it was frustrating, kind of watching it get to the finish line, but it's 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 relatively well thought out. And I I think that um, the 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 bias from Congress is to make sure that we, we we're kind of hitting the pause button here, as opposed to hitting the stop button. You know, we're we're, we're pausing, allowing people to to, to shelter in place, uh, but when we're ready to come back out that there's jobs to go to, people who are trained in those jobs, and we kind of pick right up where we left off. And that's that's where a lot of these you know, small business loans and things like that are, are intended to to provide. Um, you know, and hopefully it will work. And I don't, I don't think it's the last of, of what we're going to see from a fiscal st uh, policy standpoint. I do think, um, and, and, you know, chime in if you, if you disagree, but I think the Fed is probably close to being done. You know, they, they've, they'll continue to, to intervene in... Uh, money markets and re repurchase markets, things like that, uh, on a on a day by day basis. But in in terms of of major announcements of monetary policy, I think they they've done pretty much everything that they're going to be able to do. Um, but I do think we'll see another fiscal stimulus package get laid on top of the CARE Act. Uh, I don't know what acronym they're going to come up for it, um, <laughs> but it'll be something, and it'll be something that you know no one will remember down the road. Uh, but but. 
you know, I definitely think that it was good to, to see as as much as they possibly can at this point in our history, them lay down politics and, and just get done what needed to get done uh, to, to, to really stave off a, a potentially huge economic impact of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I also agree that they're probably done, not because I think they want to be done, but more I just don't think they have any tricks left in the bag. I mean, there's there's definitely things that they could do. You know, there's there's non-conventional tools that they can use. There's, you know, they're, they're never out of ammo, um, but they're out of the stuff that we're used to shooting. I agree with that. Fair, <laughs> fair, yep. Yeah. <laughs> this was a good topic choice, though, um, guys, for, for the exam takers as well, because more often than not, there is a question on this. Um, and it might just be a description of, of the stimulus package and what does is that monetary or is that fiscal? Or the question could yep. just be who who mandates it? Uh, it's the Fed well, that that deals with the monetary and it's Congress that deals with the the fiscal. Either one of those could be tested just by description. Yep. And also, you know, what is the result? Is it is it a loosening policy or is it a tightening policy? Mm -hmm. So if everything that you look at right now, everything that we've done is loosening. Anything opposite of that is tightening. I mean, we brought rates to zero. We're buying everything in sight. We're, we're dumping a bunch of money from Congress into the system. Uh, and we're, we're basically not we, – we, we gave a furlough to taxes. So, so all of that stuff is very accommodative uh, for, for lower interest rates and a, and a loose uh, uh, policy. Uh, and, and when we come to the point where we can get out of this, everything that they do at that point will be tightening. Yeah. And for the question of, of what body mandates these, um, my tip for the exam is fiscal has a C in it and that C stands for Congress. So that's how I kept the two Yeah, straight. that's a good way to do it, actually. Yeah. That's good. Awesome. I'm going to use that, Mike. I'm definitely stealing that from my class. <laughs> I needed everything. <laughs> Awesome. I, you know, speaking of that, could, I don't know, financial planning, the exam, all that. Have you ever seen so many acronyms? And I mean, you need a book of acronyms to, to study this stuff. All right. So that's the CARE Act. Uh, but it's not the only new act Congress put out, at least major act. Uh, Congress put out uh, what will be tested on the July exam uh, is the SECURE Act, which feels like a lifetime ago with everything that's happened, but is actually fairly new. Um, we did a whole episode on it a little while ago uh, that we'll link in the show notes for anyone who didn't catch that and wants a more in-depth dive into the SECURE Act, but figured it would be a good idea for us to kind of just hit on the high points uh, and do a real quick review of the SECURE Act since it will be tested on in July. Yeah, I think you will see some questions this time around. Yeah. So uh, should we just dive right in, guys? What what would you feel is, is the biggest uh, takeaways from the SECURE Act from your point of view? Well, again, for me, it was the, some of these retirement things. Um, yeah, without question. Pushing back of the uh, age for required minimum distributions to, to 72 um, and then also lifting the maximum age uh, for IRA contributions. So it's, it's conceivable that one could 
could still be working and have compensation income uh, with which to make an IRA contribution while at the same time taking minimum distributions. They might be 75 years old and, and taking distributions, but have enough income to still be funding the IRA. And you just have to do the math on that. Um, at what point is it really no advantage? But it takes a pretty healthy IRA balance um, to generate a required minimum distribution of, of, of $6,000. Um, so I would do that math if, if someone's asking you about, well, is it worth it tax-wise? It still could be uh, a nice deduction. Yep, definitely. And, yep. and it, I don't remember the specific date, but the uh, you, you had to have turned 70 and a half this year. I want to say it was like June 30th of 1959. You had to be you had to be born after that in order to not take the um, the RMD at, at age seventy. Uh, I'm yeah, sorry, you, you at, could at not uh, have age seventy two versus seventy. By the end of last yeah. year, right? Yeah. Yep. 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 So I, I want to say it was like June thirtieth of of fifty nine. No, uh, forty nine would have been forty nine, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just all I remember is is you had you cannot have already attained seventy and a half at yep. the end of last year. Um, yep. You can't can't go back with that you know and i meant to mention this earlier about these rmds because a current year's rmd is based on the end of year balance in the accounts yep if you think about that december 31st balances versus where those balances would be today uh, yep. is cause for pause again about wow do i want to yep. liquidate that based on that big balance that yeah i mean anyway. right and yep yep and you know ho hopefully by the end of the year we'll get you know, somewhere north of, of where we are now, but uh, it's it's definitely going to be a consideration for sure. Definitely. Um, I think for me, my biggest takeaway as far as how it affects the exam and the ways that students are going to most likely run into it uh, is the reversion of the kitty tax. Uh, I remember when I took the, the CFP exam, uh, I got quite a few kitty tax questions. So I feel that is definitely going to come up uh, for students taking it in July. Uh, the fact that it's no longer based off of the trust tax rates, but instead off of the parents' tax good rates. Point. Yeah, good point, yep. Jerry. Yeah. Um, something else I, I wanted to mention was with the SECURE Act, it expanded um, 529 plans uh, on what, what the payments can go for to come out tax-free. And part of it was homeschooling expenses. This is up to um, also up to $10,000 of qualified student loan repayments. So one could shift money from the 529, pay on a student loan that is now not accruing interest. They could, you know, make a big chunk with that 10,000 from the 529. Um, so those are a couple of nice uses for uh, for that money. Yeah, for sure. Um, like, like we said earlier, just having more options is always a, a good thing. You know, putting those options in individuals' hands allows them to make the best decisions. Yeah, there were some other nice things in there that we, we talked about in the previous episode, but I would think all of those are on, on hold. Um, Part-time employees being allowed to participate in a 401k plan, that's pretty cool. Um, but I, I doubt that uh, much of that's going on right now, given the state of things. Uh, right. Same way with um, they've pushed back used to be if the tax year had already closed, um, the only plan that you could set up and fund after the after the year was the SEP. And but right now it applies to any qualified plan, which I thought, well, that's great. But on the other hand, what businesses are now in a, in a, a position to do that um, to right. take on? So they're probably not, even though um, 
one of these acts, and I'm not going to remember it, increased the um, uh, the credit for offsetting expenses to adopt a, a qualified plan. Um, and it went up by quite a bit, actually. It was used to be like $500, and now it's like 500 per person up to some, I, I forget how many thousands of limit, but you know, that's a nice thing, but I just don't think anybody's going to probably be doing it right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, a couple things in here where it's like, all right, it's good to, it's good to know. Good to have not at the forefront of anyone's thoughts right now. <laughs> yeah. No, and likely not to be on their mind when they get to reopen. You know, I don't think retirement plans are going to be the first thing that they jump to. But, you know, hopefully it is incentive for them to, because even prior to getting into this, retirement savings was a big issue for our society overall. Uh, and, and this situation certainly hasn't helped that uh, in, in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So. so just file it away and, you know, we'll revisit it when the when the time comes. But... Uh, like like we said earlier, we'll probably end up talking about all this uh, numerous times in the coming months. Right. Definitely. And uh, if you are looking for that more deep dive in the Secure Act, uh, we'll link the episode down below. Uh, there's also a great uh, resource uh, the, on congress.gov where they did a line-by-line -line breakdown of the, of the Secure Act. Definitely recommend giving that a read. Uh, that's really helpful, but uh, it's definitely something we'll be talking about again in the future. All right. Little bit of a backwards episode today, guys. We saved question of the episode for the very end. You know, save the best for last. Yeah. Um, and this Taxes has to do... Taxes are always the best, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, something that really trips up a lot of students, which... I don't know. It, it seems like a very straightforward topic, but it gives a lot of people a hard time. So we wanted to take a minute just to kind of talk about it and, and break it down. Uh, but I feel one of the best ways to do that is kind of just warm up with a question you might run into uh, on the exam with it. So without further ado, uh, you have a client who has a current tax liability of $2,000. They have a $3,000 refundable credit. How much of a check are they going to receive from the government when they file their taxes? A, zero. B, 1,000. C, 2,000. Or D, 3,000. What would you say, Mike? My buzzer wasn't working. I was trying to buzz in on that ah. one. Uh, <laughs> uh, 1,000, Jerry. I'm going to go with 1,000. 1,000. $1,000 is correct. Now, twist for you, Mike. What if that $3,000 credit was a non-refundable credit? How much would they receive? Unfortunately, zero. They wouldn't owe anything. Mm -hmm. But they would not get any kind of refund. The the best the non-refundable can do is take you to zero. Right. So give us give us a breakdown, Mike. Like how how does this work? And maybe if you know offhand any kind of common examples that you know people will run into. Yeah, I um, and the only reason that 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 I ask that with we get into this a little bit is is because um, this is a again good material for the exam. And in the pressure of the exam, folks kind of get it mixed up when they start applying numbers. Um, 
But one of the things that can help with this is to, again, be studying taxes with a 1040 handy so you can see on the, ret on the return where these deductions happen. Um, so what you would see in there is first on the tax return, when we've rolled up the income and we've got um, standard deduction or itemized deductions and we start getting in, then to non-refundable credits. Those are taken first and then eventually um, it runs down to the total tax um, on about like line 15, I think of the 1040. And that's where we can't go below zero using the, the, the non-refundable uh, credits. The big difference with the refundable credits, and this is where the confusion comes in, a refundable credit is applied after that total tax has been calculated mm -hmm. and it's treated like any tax payment the taxpayer has made, be it withholding or estimated uh, payments. These refundable credits are coming in the same category. So where, where we see confusion is in, in a problem where um, they've, They've made estimated payments of a certain amount, and then they also qualify for the refundable credit combined. Um, it it creates a refund, but you have to treat it like the payment. You don't. So, like if someone if someone owes uh, if their tax is uh, ten thousand dollars and they've paid in already through withholding or estimates eleven thousand dollars, and they also qualify for $5,000 in refundable credits. They, they already are getting a refund because of what they've paid in. So some students will think, well, no, you can't, you can't do any more than that, but you can. That $5,000 of refundable credits would go in with the 11,000 that they uh, already had paid. So their refund would actually be $6,000. So you have, you have to recognize what's been withheld already in the problems. That's the hardest thing to decipher. Right, definitely. Um, I've, I also feel probably where people get tripped up a lot is in recognizing which credits are refundable and which ones are non-refundable. Um, what would you say are kind of like the biggest, most common refundable credits that people will run yeah, into? Yeah, it's a really short list. Most, most tax credits are not. Uh, refundable. The biggest ones that, that, that a client, we might see with a client, uh, earned income tax credit, but that's a fairly low income benefit. I think it, it taps out at um, under $60,000 of, uh, of income, um, wouldn't be able to apply it. But a lot of people have that. Um, the, the biggest one could be a child tax credit, which could be up to $2,000 per child and um and it has real high thresholds on it too it's not wiped out at, at really uh at a real low income level uh, my um son and and, and daughter-in-law had their third child um, mid-year last year and so tax time came around i'm like don't you file your taxes until you have that child's social security number right because that's two thousand dollars <laughs> more off of the tax bill so that need to start monetizing those kids. Yes, I love you, my little tax credit. Yeah. Um, 
so but that was that's six thousand dollars dollar for dollar off of uh of the tax bill for them that's huge um in general you know you've studied this that a tax credit is better than a tax deduction because the deduction merely saves the marginal bracket times the amount of the deduction but the tax credit is dollar for dollar uh, reduction of the actual tax bill so that's probably the biggest one and then one more i would mention would be the american opportunity tax credit um, you know that can be as high as twenty five hundred dollars of which fourteen hundred can be refundable so you may right. see that's that that's like its own class right that's partially yeah so it's not it's not fully refundable it's just partially refundable it, right partially refundable yeah yeah um, whereas the lifetime learning credit, the other educational credit, is 100% non uh, non refundable. Right. So in general, the AOTC is is the way to go first. If if they're in a degree program, enrolled at least half time, all of those other you know regs that you'd have to comply with. But usually that's the yep. one where, that you're going to go for first. And then most of the others are all non refundable. But study the 1040, you'll see exactly, and you know, I found myself on the exam picturing the 1040 and where those deductions uh, happen on either for AGI or on the backside of the 1040 for these tax credits and such. And that's a really good tip. I, I, I hadn't heard that before. I think that's a really good way to do it. This is why I pay an accountant. <laughs> well, it's, you know, and the tax credits... Like I said, I, I just wanted to mention it for exam takers because the, the income tax software is so great out there. It prompts you for all these questions and you don't miss these credits if you're using that good software and the accountant certainly doesn't. But in exam land, it's a different ballgame. Well, that's uh, that's a pretty good breakdown of it. Um, you know, it, it's not it's not super hard. I think people just kind of get confused um, when it comes to actually calculating it, and maybe they get tripped up when when they're doing the calculations and it doesn't quite equal out. But if you just kind of understand the mechanics of it and that core principle, um, you can answer the vast majority of questions having to do with uh, with the credits. Yeah, we we would say that that would that's a definite right that you're going to see on the test. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I would say so. I I definitely would say so. Uh, well, it awesome. may have math. It may have math in it. Um, you know that that I stumbled on trying to explain here, but it also could just be conceptual. The difference between the two. Right. Yeah. And and like Mike said, the list of refundable credits is super short. So memorize that list. Memorize that list, and if you get a question and it's referring to credit that isn't on that short list of refundables, you know automatically that it's a non-refundable credit. Absolutely, and there's you know there's some of them that uh, on that short list that probably would never make it into the exam either. Um, I, I wouldn't expect to see you know what's one of the other oh the uh, premium tax credit through the Affordable Care Act. I, mm -hmm, I wouldn't yeah. expect to be tested on that, but I would expect uh, AOTC to be there um earned income tax credit i don't know because it's uh it, it, it's phased out at, at the lower level but the aotc child tax credit learn those i think you're golden on on the refundables yeah when when i took the exam i remember seeing the aotc as the refundable credit 
Um, I've, especially since it has to do with, uh, education savings. That's, that's a topic the, uh, uh, CFP board loves testing on because that hits not only tax with the credits, but it also hits, uh, education and, and funding education. Yeah. Which is what education questions are. Um, what is it? Six, six percent of the questions are education. It's got its own category yep. now. Yeah. Um, but the, um, you, what you, when you get into this for your exam, make sure you um, get a, a current copy of the tax tables that are provided for your exam cycle. Because in the past, there's been information provided about AOTC and lifetime learning credit. Used to break down how it worked, but now I think they only give you the thresh, uh, the the phase out thresholds, if I'm not mistaken. But so make sure you uh, make sure you you check that out. See what you don't have to memorize. Awesome. Well, yeah, that about wraps it up for this month's episode of Biff Bites. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have uh, topic ideas or if there's anything you want to hear the three of us talk about, definitely feel free to send it in. I uh, love hearing feedback from you guys and always looking for good ideas for future episodes. Yeah, when all, all this right. turmoil is open, we'll have a Biff Bites Fest or something uh, to <laughs> celebrate freedom again. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Until then, hopefully everyone stays healthy and your families are healthy and you cope well with the, uh, the, the, uh, solidarity. What's, what what am I looking for? What's the solitude? Yeah. Solitary confinement. (laughs) Yeah. Brendan's Brendan's sporting a nice new beard. It's it's yeah. his uh, <laughs> quarantine beard. Yeah. You're picturing him in his basement, you know, and he's got the beard and the flannel shirt and hasn't I, I, showered. It's the bars weeks. are closed. I feel like I'm like a castaway. I'm a I, castaway. Oh At, yeah. As a funny anecdote, I, I did read the other day that uh, uh, I think it was The Gap put out a sales report, and they said uh, sales of uh, tops were up, but sales of bottoms were down. So <laughs> It makes sense. All those webcam it makes mo- sense. meetings. <laughs> That's funny. See, but when it's, just, when it's just a podcast, you don't have to wear either. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan's just, just actually- Just wear your beard. Right yeah. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you turning the camera off, Brendan. That was considered- yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you got to pay to have that camera on. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, well, you can check out all of our back episodes at biffbites.com. That's also where we have all of our articles uh, and past questions of the episode that you can take a look at. Uh, until next month, I uh, hope you guys all stay safe and healthy. All right, take, take care, care guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Brendan. Everybody.